So we're the only people who get two lives in one lifetime. Don't mess the second one up. It's easy. Don't take chances. I signed an office lease on a building in Dallas like a million dollars. It was about 10 years ago. My friends were going, how do you sleep at night? Oh my God, are you crazy? What are they going to do to me? You're going to tell the office off me, Bill, big deal. Take the chance, guys. Take that girl, buy that house, start that business now. We haven't got time. I love it. You deserve everything that you want to go out and get. And you can achieve, and quantum physics backs me up here. You can achieve anything that you want to achieve and don't let anybody tell you different because they're jealous and they're lying. Here's the magic secret. Can we change and redevelop thought patterns? And can we create energy first thing in the morning to drive our day to be an amazing day? It's 100% possible. Find out your five closest friends, then find out the one that doesn't want you to succeed. Get rid of it, do your work, and you can do anything. Boom, baby, let's go. <laughs>
Um, and between sets, I was so nervous that my uncle came over and said, hey, take a drink of this. And it was a beer. I took a drink and then boom, my whole life just lit up. Absolutely little. And I asked people today, I go, when was your first drink? Oh, about 10 or 11. Do you remember it? No, it was horrible. I spat it out. I have no idea when it was. Me, I can tell you it was 9.27 on a Saturday evening in July in Liverpool, England. That's what it was. That's how much of a profound effect it had on me because it took all my nerves away. It took everything else away. And for many years, alcohol was my best friend i've got to put it out there man it was my best friend yeah man it's so it's so relatable it's like because i felt the same way in that moment you're just like this is how i always wanted to feel this feeling right here right now this must be how normal people feel this must be why other people find life so easy and it's just this moment of like this is the solution i finally found it and then well there's more to the story right um so I've heard t- you talking about, as you're sharing your story on all these different mediums that you're out there on, um, about living on the streets and suicide attempts and other experiences that so many of us have in our stories. And, you know, and then suddenly you meet this guy and you find some recovery literature and then you start walking eight miles to a meeting every week and you're, you know, in your pursuit to get well. And that kind of, that blows my mind how we go from one extreme to the other, um, which is on par for us probably uh, in most cases. But how, how did your perspective shift so quickly from like feeding the problem to feeding the solution at, at a, both, you know, extreme ends of the spectrum? It was the understanding of the disease back when I was trying to get sober yeah. back in the 80s. <clears throat> and it's just a case of alcohol. Alcoholics and somebody drinks too much alcohol. And that's not the case. Alcohol has 1% to do with alcoholism and the same with drugs. You know, I wanted to find out what, what the hell was going on because I didn't know. I really didn't know that, uh, if, you know, everybody I went to meetings with just stopped drinking. It wasn't until years later I found out that the guys I was going to 12-step meetings were real alcoholics. And because they could just stop drinking and using drugs, they expected me to. Well, I'm the real deal. So two or three days later, I relapse and thinking, I must not get it. It mustn't be me. One of the most horrible things I hear in 12-step meetings is, oh, he relapsed. He wasn't ready. Bullshit, he wasn't ready. Don't even get me started about the 12-step meetings. The book is amazing. The meetings, come on, we can do better than we're doing right now. So. I, I met a guy in, in a room after Derek found me on the streets, after 14 months on the streets. Uh, a guy came across me in the middle of the night, took him back to his house, took me to a meeting the next day that I didn't want to go to, and I met John. And the eight miles, yeah. uh, I think it was eight miles, I'm not sure. I used to go every Wednesday evening. I used to leave my house at uh, six. I used to get there for seven, so obviously it wasn't eight miles, two or three, I can't remember. Stay till eight, leave and get home for nine. That was religiously every Wednesday. I did that for 12 weeks. When I finished with that man, I knew quite well that if I continued to work the program that he'd show me in the 12-step program, I'd never drink alcohol ever again. And then when I saw other alcoholics suffering, because I'd lost houses, wife, kids, my youngest daughter, I've not seen 30 years on today. I still haven't mm-hmm. seen. So mm-hmm. I wasn't happy with somebody telling me, you have to stop drinking. You know, why can't you stop for your kids? So that's when we delved in about 12, 13 years ago to the neuroscience behind the addiction. What's the neuroscience behind the addiction? So at the time, I knew I had something. I knew that it was working. And I knew that I had spent the rest of my life helping other people if I was to stay sober and, and was going to survive this, this disease. Because it is a disease. It's a biochemical reaction uh, in the brain, you know, generation and generation. Um, so that's what yeah, I just got excited about it. You know, I got excited about that book I used to carry around and people were getting well. You know, we don't always have to be recovering. If you look at the word recovered in Oxford English, because that's where they looked in that book because most of them went to Oxford. It says yeah. to gain one's health and state of mind. Well, I don't have the allergy anymore because I'm not drinking. So if I'm not drinking, the compulsion to drink has gone. So boom, I've recovered from that BS. Hopefully never to go back again. Wow. Thank you for sharing all that. Can you tell us a little bit about the Rob Kelly Foundation, um, you know, the mission, what it is you're solving for? Just just kind of tell us about it. So me and my wife stick about 100 grand back into the communities every year. 
Uh, we buy, you know, suits for dads who go into court. We pay court costs for moms who want the kids back. You know, all, all the usual stuff that most mm-hmm. people do. But we wanted to create a foundation. But we wanted to create a foundation for with a difference. So most of my patients throughout the last 10, 15 years have been high-profile A-list patients. They're all now. I have seven on board. They're all movie stars, you know, stuff like that. Um, so what we decided is let's create this foundation. It's only done four months ago. It only went live four months ago. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to accept donations off people. And basically, it's going out to help anybody who needs help. Anybody. So let's say Johnny Smith comes to us and said, hey, we've got no food. The kids are going starving. We don't know what to do and being evicted. We will take care of all of that. We'll pay 12 months rent. We'll make sure they get food every single week. We'll send it to them or we'll give them the money. And then what we get little Johnny to do is write a letter to the donor that we used for that money so that he can say that the $1,000 that he put into our foundation, the guy's going to call him or send him an email thanking him for the $1,000. So it's not – nobody's taking any money from his foundation. I have enough money already. So we're doing it. Everyone's working on it free of charge. It's a 501c3. So don't pay the taxman. Pay us, the robkellyfoundation.org, and you'll see where every cent goes. I just think that we need to give back. It's like my normal work, Rob Kelly Recovery Group, 25% of that is pro bono. Now, there's a waiting list for about 12 months, but you've got to give back. If you don't right. give him back, what are you doing? I mean, you know, I've got, I don't know, maybe five grand in the safe right now at home. Would I rather give that five grand to somebody I know who's suffering or stick it in there for a year? I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. So yeah. always loving people, always giving back, always encouraging people that they, most people walk around at 45 to 55% of their capacity and capability, period. And the reasons they are, we'll go into later. But do I want that money? No, give it to them. I want to see people... I want to see people earn more than me. I want to see people become more famous than me. I, I want to see people do well, you know, and a lot of entrepreneurs like me don't want to see anybody else doing well. You can have it, guys. I come from nothing. I don't care. You yeah. know, it's, it's crazy, but I want everyone to survive. And most of my 8,000 patients have done just that. They recovered. They survived. We started a business. They're thriving. And, and the family's amazing. Yeah. Well, there's no more desperate feeling than when you're in the pit of addiction and you can't figure out how to crawl out and then and then people help you you know and then the first thing when you start to get well usually for me anyway the first thing I wanted to do was help other people because I know that desperation I know what it feels like and if I can do it you but it you, it doesn't feel like an obligation it's actually kind of the coolest thing I've ever been a part of yeah. right like getting to be I get to now be that person the people who did that for me were my heroes. And so now I get to go be that person in someone else's life. And then guess what? She's going to turn around and go do that for other people. And it's cool. And I have everything I need. Like you said, I have everything I need. I'm good. Like I need to share. I want to share my, you know, time, money, um, experience and all that kind of stuff. So what I must today, I must admit though, Amanda today, I have, I have something that maybe you have, but a lot of people don't have. And that is, Enough. Yeah. I have enough. I'm settled. I'm happy. I'm 10 out of 10 every day on, on that scale we talk about. I'm beautiful. I'm handsome. I'm intelligent. I'm all of these things. I'm happy today. I mean, it took me, I'm 62 now. It probably took me about 57 years to get where yeah. I am today, to feel like I actually recent, a couple of years, two or three years ago, when I realized. And I realized when I was 60, Amanda, what I said to myself is, first of all, I'm stopped giving a shit what anyone thinks of me. And secondly, mm-hmm. the biggest thing I ever found is nobody really cares. They've all got their own problems. So I'm not getting out at night time, you know, I'm making sure my arms are showing. Look at them bigger. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> and the weight that come off me was just like, oh, it was so freeing. And it's like, at the end of the day, guys, if you've been through what me and Amanda have been through, let me tell you something now. What can anybody else do to you that we haven't already done to ourselves? So we're the only people who get two lives in one lifetime. Don't mess the second one up. It's easy. Don't take chances. I signed an office lease on a building in Dallas like a million dollars. It was about 10 years ago. My friends were going, how do you sleep at night? Oh, my God. Are you crazy? What are they going to do to me? You're going to tell the office off me? Bill, big deal. Take the chance, guys. Take that girl. Buy that house. Start that business now. We haven't got time. I love it. It's so true. What... 
I'm curious just for you personally, what was or is the hardest part of you for making this change? Like, you know, we all have our struggles, whether it's trauma or maybe it's our social life or whatever, but it's a huge change. It's a massive shift. And like, of course you were starting in a pretty rough place. It sounds like, um, so a lot of people would say, well, there was nowhere to go, but up from there, but that doesn't mean it wasn't hard. That doesn't mean it's, it's, it's not hard to go and change how our neural pathways are wired, what we're feeding, you know, so what, what was the hardest part for you? Or doesn't sound like you still struggle with it a whole lot, but what was it in the beginning? Cause I want newer people, people still struggling to hear that people like you on the other side of it really had some shit they had to work through. You know, that was actually really, really hard. Yeah, I mean, I messed everything up, guys. I stabbed my wife three times one day because she wouldn't let me finish my bottle of vodka. The kids were taken off me. I was almost arrested for attempted murder. I fled to Spain. I mean, one of the realizations when I really did get sober uh, for the first time <clears throat> was the damage that I'd done to my children, ages one and three. The damage that I'd done to my wife. In fact, it wasn't a wife. It was a hostage situation mm. that I had her in. The realization, this is why I put most people relapsed. If you don't sort your trauma out, especially childhood trauma, you will relapse. End of story. So the hard part of going back and clearing all that stuff, not only in my childhood, also in me being a father, I had to own that stuff. And that was really hard. And that's why most people around that time of doing your work go out and relapse because you can't take it here. It's like, oh, my God, every single day, look at the piece of terrible, you're horrible, you're a piece of shit. Da, 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 da. And the only thing in the early days that would stop that is alcohol. The first one or two sips, and I was like, oh, I don't give a shit anymore now. Because it, people don't know the hypothalamus is part of the brain. It, it, it tells everybody when they're bored to eat food, drink water. It's the survival part of the brain. What a lot of people don't know is people have that rest of their lives, survival instinct. But at a certain point of our drinking career, the hypothalamus turns around to the alcoholic and tells us to drink alcohol and not food or water. That's why we can go days without food or water. The brain is telling me to drink alcohol. So that mental obsession is the hypothalamus. Then as soon as I drink it, the allergy starts off. That isn't a choice. So when I found out it wasn't a choice, it was then relieving. And the other thing I, I, I say is uh, I don't regret anything I've done because it's why I'm here today. You know, that usual crap saying Losing my children, the realization I'll never see my children again. Uh, now, before you go away and make a cup of tea or something, I want to tell you about my children because the, young, uh, the youngest one I've never seen. But four years ago, my eldest one contacted me on Facebook Messenger, middle of the night. Went over to see her. We hugged on the, st on the steps of her door. She walked me in into the living room and she handed me my four-month-old, three-month-old granddaughter. So going from there... So there is more, we could stand for another 20 years, 24 hours a day. I, I will still not have enough time to explain to you that this is so possible. It's so possible. In fact, we have a 97, 98% success rate. No one's heard of that. The nearest one to us is 6%. We're the only company in the world that offers a money back guarantee if you relapse while following our program. So put your money where your mouth is. That's ever since I got sober, that's what it was. Prove it. You know, you say you can do this, prove it. You say you can be a, a great dad, prove it. Stop this, like Rob Ollard used to do. You know, I, 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 no, judging by my actions today, not by my intentions, because my intentions are always good, just like yours mm -hmm. was, Amanda. Yeah. We never see it through. Yeah. I love that. Um, that makes me so happy for you, that you are reunited with your daughter and your, your grandchild. And um, so... I loved hearing your story when you were talking about having self-sabotaging self neural pathways. Um, if arriving at the worst possible outcome in the shortest amount of time were an Olympic sport, I'd, I would have a closet full of gold medals. Like it's just, it's my wiring. I can look at my mom and my granny. I can even look at my daughter. And it's just like, it's just part of the wiring. We have alcoholism yeah. throughout our family. We have other mental health challenges. And so I'm aware of it, but I still thought I was special or I was different or like, there's no way that I could have a problem because I'm, I, I have strong armed every obstacle that's ever come into my life and I have been successful. And so there's no bleeping way that, that I can't also get control over this thing that, and it almost killed me because I just kept trying and trying and trying mm -hmm. to like win or to control it. Um, and so 
how does neuroscience and our DNA and just whatever shit we're born with, like how, how does that play into this? I know you say it's a disease that it has to do with, you know, biochemical, blah, blah, blah. But like, can you explain that to us in layman's terms so that we can just get a good feel for it? Okay. So prepare to have your minds blown. And before you say that's BS, just research it. Uh, alcoholics are born and drug addicts are made. Alcoholics are born with a predisposition. Alcohol, you can trace alcohol back to three generations. If you can't, you're not an alcoholic. You abuse alcohol or you drink every day. It doesn't make you an alcoholic. Three right. DUIs don't make you an alcoholic. You know, it, it, there's a huge difference. So when we look at the neuroscience, uh, alcoholics and addicts, so alcoholics and the addictive behavior with addicts, that's why most, you know, moms start on the doctor's office and end up on heroin. It's the addictive behavior that's causing most of that. But what tends to happen is neuropathways to self-sabotage are rife. So there are billions of neuropathways in their head. I would say 80% of alcoholics that are born and drug addicts that start taking drugs early are self-sabotage. So when we look at the basal ganglia, which is our repetition strength and confirms part of the brain, and pilot these 10,000 hours in the air, repetition strength, now he can do it with his eyes closed, is kind of that's what we do to learn anything, which is amazing. But the only thing is... The alcoholic and addict doesn't do that. If you can imagine a clock face, we get to one o'clock, we just got sober, we're gonna, we're not gonna ever drink again, get to 15 after, got the children back, you know, get to, I've just got a new job, the wife's happy then, bang! At 10 to the hour, we self-sabotage. That's because the basal ganglia is that default setting to self-sabotage at that certain point. Now that point could be a week, a month, a year, it doesn't make any difference. But when you get to that point, when you start, we're scared of success, scared of failure. So we, we all start something, we never finish it. And if we start looking good, we self-sabotage. We bring all that stuff down and, and, and then we go drink. And the answer we have is, well, I'm an alcoholic. What else am I supposed to do? It's like that shit needs to be repaired. And if that shit isn't repaired, you're going to relapse until you die. There's no good way out of this, guys. If you're a real mm -hmm. deal, you had to go to prison for life or you die. You know, they're the two bad choices. The other choice is to get the work done, get through this. So... The whole neuroscience behind it, the amygdala, oh, my God, it's like a smoke alarm for the brain, you know, with all that trauma and, you know, stuff. And it's crazy. We need to clear that up because if you're in anxiety, guys, you're worried about tomorrow. If you're in depression, you're worried about yesterday. So let's look at depression, for instance. The, the, the medical term for depression in the United States of America is low serotonin and low dopamine. That's it just so happens that them two are created in the gut. So low dopamine, low serotonin, okay? So I go to my friend and go, hey, I'm depressed. And he goes, hey, go to the doctor, Rob. He'll give you some stuff to make you better, like billions of people out there. So I go to this doctor that I don't know, really, and I put my health in his hands and go, hey, well, here's an, here's an SSRI, uh, you know, here's some uh, medication, make you feel good. I take it a week after I'm feeling pretty good. I can survive with that. What that serotonin pill does is, is keeps our own serotonin at a lower pace. So we're going to always need that pill for the rest of our lives. But why isn't anybody asking the question, why is my serotonin low in the first place? We don't do that. That's also plays into addiction every single time. The four chemicals needed every single day in the brain to make you happy. If them four are not fed into the brain, you're not going to be happy. And if you're not happy, you're depressed. And if you're depressed, you're going to relapse. And from relapse, suicide. And it just goes on and on. It's like, guys, you get one shot at this. Don't give a shit what anybody else says. Oh, I'm going to start my own business, but I know Johnny's going to like, who cares, man? Get out of that cesspit that you've been swelling. Everybody, I don't want you to, nobody wants you to succeed these days. Find out your five closest friends, then find out the one that doesn't want you to succeed. Get rid of it. Do your work. And you can do anything. I used to say this to people all the time. I used to go, hey, listen, Dad, well, I can't be president of the United States. That's what he used to say to me. I go, listen, forget your political views today, guys. We had a president running the country with no political experience. He's a businessman. Don't dare tell me you can't do anything you put your mind to. Mind over matter. The mind runs. And I'll give you some tips before we finish on how to set this mind for the day and how to change the neural pathways. So 300 neural pathways die every single day. Okay, we're going to start replacing them with great neuropathways. Psychic change, change your mind. 
Well, also too, I remember a few years I started reading more and more about neuroscience and like neuroplasticity and this idea that things can be changed. And I think back in the day, we just believed that kind of it is what it is, right? And then all the science has shown like, no, that's absolutely not true. Like you are able to mold and it's very malleable. You've got to do work, right? There's a bunch of stuff that goes into that. And I don't know if it's therapy. I don't know if it's like creating new habits and reinforcing it that way. I'm sure we're, we're going to talk about this, but like, um, you know, it gave me so much hope because I knew I could modify my behavior from going to meeting, just, you know, doing other things other than instead of going to a bar after work, go to a meeting after work, right? There's some very simple like replacement, but that doesn't address what's happening neurobiologically and emotionally. That doesn't address any of that stuff. It's really just, it's a distraction to let me detox and and get better for a while and heal, but I'm still going to have to go do all this other stuff. And I wasn't sure what that meant. Does that mean therapy? Does that mean I need to be on Medicaid? Like, And it means different things for different people, but, you know, I guess that is the, that was the hopeful part for me was that we can actually change the, the brain. It's not like you're just born with something and that can't be changed. And like you were saying earlier, the recovered part, this, you're in a state of recovery. Um, and a lot of people live in this constant fear that, you know, I'm never going to get better uh, it's one day at a time. I'm starting over, over every single day. And sometimes to me, that can be, I don't know. I don't even know what the word is. It just makes me feel like I'm never making any progress. I want to believe that I am, I am healed. I am healthy today, like emotionally, spiritually, physically, whatever. Um, so like, it doesn't mean cured, guys, before you yes. start going up with Amanda saying that. Get a dictionary, cured and recover, two different words, okay? That's simple as that. Being recovered, gain one's health and state of mind, but does not mean I can drink again. Right. You know, completely mm. doesn't. I have that daily reprieve that that book talks about, and yes. reprieve in the Oxford English is a stay of execution. So I have a stay of execution every day that I can get through this deal. There's no cure for alcoholism, but guess what? There's no cure for the common cold or food poisoning. Just take a few simple steps every day, and you won't get it again. People freak out, you know. Well, you know, you watch that pink cloud. I've been on a pink cloud for 32 years. And I ain't coming from nobody. Stop telling people that they're going to relapse. Stop telling people that you know, it won't last. Of course it'll last. And then people that are saying that are not alcoholics. They're heavy drinkers that goes there because they're lonely or sad, looking for a girlfriend, looking for a boyfriend. It's like, why are you coming to our groups? You don't belong here. Go away. You know, <laughs> this isn't a, this isn't a, a, a self-help group, guys. It really isn't. So when we're talking about, Amanda, you just said it's neuroplasticity, they call it. Ten years ago, the medical fraternity found out that the brain can be remote. So we can change the way we think. We can change, you know, how we do things. Um, so yeah, they called it. Many years ago when they wrote that book, by the way, they called it a psychic chain. I don't know how they knew 700 years ago. Uh, but look, the 12 step names are, are, are good. The books, the best piece of literature I've ever read on a recovery. But look at step one. You ask anybody what step one is, oh, what all powerless over alcohol? It doesn't say that. Yeah, it says we're all, it doesn't say that. He said, we admitted we were Paul. I'm not powerless over alcohol. I, I, went, I bypassed seven liquor stores on the way this morning. I'm not powerless <laughs> over alcohol. Stop saying that. We're all yeah. powerless. No, we're not. There's three, uh, 352 God words in the first 164, all capitalized. It says that we have a power, capital P. Yeah. Stop thinking that. Let's get some education around this. If 12-step meetings is your gig. I have to ask this question because you're one of those people that makes me very curious about um, science, God, spirituality, and how that all gets, you know, intertwined sometimes. But like, do you believe in God? When you had your psychic change, was it a kind of big bang, big bang moment or was it more of the educational variety? Like how, how has that looked for you? Because for people like me who are, somewhere between I'm not an atheist I'm definitely agnostic but I my view of all that stuff continues to evolve it is not the same as it was two years ago it's probably not going to be the same a couple years from now um so like where do you land on all that I'm just curious because you're a scientist but you're also and you I want to know what that's like for you so straight out of the gate I'm going to tell you that I was molested molested by my priest uh, by my choir master. Um, so religion was done. They want nothing to do with it. And then I was homeless, lost everything. No. When Derek found me, it was in the middle of the night in an office and factory where, you know, there's no houses or people there. He'd missed his last person, so he walked home from a Bible study. 
And then he found me, he took me back. When he took me back, he said, you can stay here for as long as you like, but I want you to come to this meeting. I went to the meeting. I didn't want to go to the meeting. I hated them meetings, all war stories, you know. But halfway around, this guy said, my name's John, and I'm a recovered alcoholic. And I was like, what did he just say? Did he just say recovered alcoholic? There's no way. And Derek said he did. So after the meeting, I went over to him. And I said, hey, John, my name's Rob. Will you sponsor me? And he said, no. Just before the ground opened up and swallowed me, because I've never asked for anything in my life, he said, I want to be your spiritual advisor for a period of 12 weeks. He said, get a big book and a dictionary. I said, I, I don't need the dictionary. I went to Oxford University. I bring a dictionary, he said, very quietly. So every Wednesday, this was the Wednesday, every Wednesday I went there, you know, couldn't go in before seven, had to leave dead on eight. If we're halfway through a conversation at one minute, he'd get up and walk me out. Weird, you know, but I did that for 12 weeks and I changed and he told me that I was going to change the world. And he told me to tell people that can be fully recovered. So he said, from tomorrow, Rob, things are going to change in your life. And I said, John, I'm living on this guy's blow up mattress in his basement. Nobody knows I'm there. It's impossible. Well, the next day, Derek came home and he said, hey, the guy who sweeps the floor in the factory has just resigned. Do you want a part-time job? I went, hell yeah, I do. So it turned into a full-time job. So like two or three weeks later, I went to the gas station. And all I could afford was a little teddy bear for John and a car. And I wrote in the car, dear John, thank you for introducing me to God because he took the compulsion away. And I went back to his apartment. And when I got to his apartment, it looked as if there was no lights on anything, but I knocked on the door because I know he lives here. Next door neighbor come out to the right and she says, can I help you? And I said, yeah, where, where, where's John? Where's, she said, John. I said, yeah, John. There's, there's nobody there called John. There's, in fact, I've been here three months. There's been no one in that apartment for three months that I know of. You got the wrong address. Close the door. Now I want to knock on the left-hand door. Bam, 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 now I'm a bit of tension. Banging on the door. Big guy came through. What do you want? So where's John moved to? He said, John who? I said, I'm sick of this crap, you and that woman. The guy that lived next door to you. And he said, that apartment is derelict. You walk in the front door, you're going to fall down to the basement. You can't go in it. You know, everyone knows it. I've been here for 12 months. It's been like that for 12 months. So I'm thinking, what? So I went back to the meeting the next night where I met John. And I said, they walked in, because everyone rem remembers me. Rob, great to see you again, man. I said, hey, Jimmy, oh, thank God you're here. Does John still come here? And he said, John who? And I said, John, I was over near the cough machine speaking to him. And he said, Rob, we were kind of laughing because you were often in a cough machine speaking to yourself. Never found that man, Amanda. And my poor, when I got wealthy, I got private detectives, the best I could get in England. Nobody could trace him. But everything he told me came true. So Wait. from here not believing to here was crazy. Well, so was it an angel or a fever dream or we don't know? Like, what do you think? After 30 years on, I believe it was an angel because I, I, I never never share that story until about five years ago and would never yeah. go anywhere near it. There's too many coincidences in my life that's happened almost on a daily basis for me not to believe that that was an angel and I got blessed to save the world. And he kept saying Isaiah 61. I don't know what Isaiah, I don't never studied the Bible, but he kept saying. So one day before I came here, I looked up Isaiah 61 and it says, to, to help the afflicted and bring great news to the families. So when I came over here seven or eight months later, just two weeks only, and by chance I could stay with this girl, she took me to her boss, and her boss, when I walked in, said, Isaiah 61. And I had to run out. I was freaked out. I, was just, I thought everybody in America was playing a game with me. <laughs> but no, too many things happened. That's and incredible. You know, it's just like anybody can recover, guys. You just got to know how. That's incredible. And I've, I've had really weird experiences, too, that I couldn't explain. And I'm very pragmatic and logical. And I'm, I, this is why I have a hard time with some of the woo-woo type of things. I'm, I'm different now, but I'm saying in the beginning, if it wasn't logical and it, there wasn't empirical evidence, and you couldn't shut I was like, oh, get out of here with that. But I've had too many experiences over the past 10 years that I've been sober of like, I, I believe it now and I don't need other people to believe it or believe me. And I've shared some things that make me look a little, you know, a little out there, but I don't care because I know it was my experience. And, you know, we all, we lost my, my dad late last year um, to cancer. He was very young and, and healthy and strong and kind of invincible. And then he was gone. And I have over the last year and a couple months since he died, I have had some, some things happen that cannot be explained 
And it's an inner knowing. And I know it's from another realm or another is definitely spiritual in nature. I don't expect other people to understand it, but I know that it's true for me. And so when you're telling that story, that's wild. Incredible. Yeah. It's, it's like a miracle, but it's, it's so personal that that, anyways, thank you for sharing that. That's crazy in, a, in the best way. Incredible. Yeah, it um, is. And, uh, I live by that every single day. And so when I say to people, they go, can you help? Can, Rob, can you, can you help us? I go, I'll be, I'll be your Derek. Cause he was the one that found me on the streets. What do you mean? I'll tell you the story one day. I always want to be that Derek to people out there. I yeah. never want to, cause I do believe in God today. Yeah. I never want to walk past someone in case I'm getting tested by God saying, hey, you think you've got all this money and all you've got all that? Yeah, you've got, yeah, this here, but what are you still doing? Because I know my God, when I get to heaven and they open them big pearly gates they talk about and I see God, you know what he's going to ask me? Or you know what he's not going to ask me? How much money do you get, Rob? What's, what was your car? How expensive was your car, Rob? He's not going to say that. He's going to say, how many people did you help? That's, that's right. what he's going to say. How many people did you help? And that's why every single time I leave the house, I bless people monetary. Every time I can, I bless people with my time. Anything that needs doing, I'm there to do it, volunteer. I mean, I'm crazy busy right now, but I still take a part of my day to work with somebody free of charge, if not call somebody that I've not called for ages. And it just so happens, you know this, Amanda, to be the call when he needed it the most, yes. you've got to always be giving back. You know, it's not my money. It's God's money. It's just going around. What is it? What What makes it successful? A car? A brand new? I've I, I got a stupid car, a supercar outside. Does that make me successful? No. Does the big house I live in? No. Does all the money and TV and but No. That doesn't make me successful. What makes me freaking successful is having a relationship with my daughter. Having a relationship with my granddaughter. That's what makes me successful today. Yeah. I've been, don't get me wrong, I've been rich and I've been poor, and I, 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 I choose rich every time. <laughs> I was poor and hard, but the lesson that I learned on the streets of Manchester was like mm. a semester at Harvard University. Mm. I love that. How have your relationship relationships changed since you became sober? First, first of all, with yourself, your relationship with yourself. Um, and then, you know, coworkers, colleagues, family, whatever, but mostly about how you are with yourself now compared to before. Yeah. Well, first of all, when I got sober, uh, you know, cause I'd lost my identity. That most adults, addicts and alcoholics. <clears throat> Once I found me, people seemed to change around me. They didn't mm -hmm. just my conception of that. So finding my identity of who I truly was, I wasn't this guy who was stumbling around and was known as the village drunk. I wasn't that guy that every person in my family disowned. Absolutely. I wasn't, I wasn't that guy. I was going through an illness. So when I found out who I really was, when I found out that truly me was just doing the best I can, and you've heard this thousands of times, I wasn't a bad guy trying to be good. I was a sick guy trying to get well. And that's why we highlight alcoholism and addiction today. Yeah. But relationships got more loving because I love myself. I had time for myself. If you don't spend time with yourself during the day, then time will take care of you in a bad yes. way. Because we're all, we, we always, so, so yeah, so first of all, that change. I, in my company now, uh, <clears throat> all recovered alcoholics and addicts who work for me, apart from my wife who looks after them, all of them are. I love people. I listen to people. Listening is an art, by the way. You know, you've been a crowd of people or a group of people and you, you, know, you hear this guy telling a really good story and you look around, you see this other guy trying to wait to, to finish so we can tell you a better story. It's like, listen, I listen to people today. I find their side and what part I have to play in everything that I do today. Yeah. And I act accordingly. I don't react. I act accordingly. I don't have bad days, Amanda. I have better days than others because I'm human. But... There's nobody who hasn't met me and not walked away with a smile on their face because that is what it's all about. Yeah. I'm sure there's a few haters out there. And thank you for hating me, guys, and thank you for looking at my stuff. But when you start paying my mortgage, I'll start listening to you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I also love what you said earlier about, you know, what? how do you define success? What does success look like? Because for me, it's not about – I judge everything now about how it makes me feel. And I know that I feel the best when I am helping other people, when I am showing up in kindness, even when I may not feel like it. Um, it's just a different, it's different choices than I used to make, you know, um, 
back in the day. And there was a time during my, during my addiction, uh, active addiction where I had more money than I could have spent. And we had all the things that were supposed to make us happy. And we were absolutely miserable and absolutely addicted. And so obviously that's not where it is, right? There's got, it comes from somewhere else, but you've got, for me, I had to go experience all those other things to try to, to figure it out. Um, or not figure it out, actually ask for help, which was impossible for me for a long time. So what was your, what is your like number one go-to tool or advice for leaving an unhealthy relationship with alcohol or anything else that limits us? Like if you had one thing that you were going to tell somebody, what is it? Morning work. Do the morning work that I'm going to tell you in a minute. That's all you need to do. Do the morning work. People in relationships that are not going good, uh, they stay way too long. Yeah. Even in relationships with other stuff, porn, cake, food, stay in that relationship too long. It's like you, like I said, I, I wasn't married, I took hostage. You know? But listen, here's the magic secret. Can we change and redevelop thought patterns? And can we create energy first thing in the morning to drive our day to be an amazing day? It's 100% possible. Me and 8,000 people I've worked with do it every single morning and millions of other people around the world that's watch my stuff. Here's how we do it, guys. I want to first start with a statement. <clears throat> the, presence, the presence of oxygen is the absence of disease. Most people only breathe 25 to 35% of their lung capacity. Every single illness, cancer, growth, inflammation start in a hypoxic area of the body. So... Let's fill everything up when I get up in the morning, okay? Let's have boom. So get up every morning, 10 breaths. That's all I'm asking. Exaggerated breaths in and out. That's much oxygen, okay? Hold on to something because you're going to go dizzy. If you don't, you're not doing it. <laughs> go into the bathroom. Look yourself eye to eye, six feet away. Very. I'll tell you about six feet away in a minute. Six feet away and say, I love you 10 times. I love you. I love no other affirmation, okay? Keep eye contact. Then get your toothbrush, and if you're right-handed, let's start with the left one week, right one week. Left one week, right for the final month. Once you do that, your life from tomorrow will change. And if you say it hasn't, you're not doing it right. These are the biological reasons why they change. You know, the cells are not getting enough oxygen. Everything is about oxygen, but we're not getting enough. Why do I say six feet away? Women are the worst at this. So they put <laughs> morning and then they get real close to the mirror while they're doing it when we're close to a mirror everyone sees it well you see our blemishes you see your own blemishes you're like this when you and even guys when they're shaving they see all the blemishes okay when you step six feet back from the mirror all the blemishes go and that's how people really see you daily but what women do especially and men is we get so close up see all our blemishes and that sets the tone for the day yeah i'm not good enough i'm not beautiful enough i'm not it's step six feet away and do what I tell you to do and your life will change. Okay. So 10 exaggerated, huge in and out breaths and yes. six feet away from the mirror. Say, I love you 10 times. And yes. then if you're, I'm left-handed, so I need to brush my teeth with my right hand for a week and then keep alternating back and forth. And what is yes. that doing? Just teaching my brain to like neural pathways. All check the out other neural pathways run. We're very predictable people. I'm not talking about alcoholics and drugs. I'm talking about everybody. So if you've ever been away on a, on like a, a bus, like to the seaside with a bunch of women, you know, you get there, you get out, you have a great time, and at the end of the day, you get back on the bus. Which seat do you sit in? You sit in the same seat that you came in. Yep. So we watch this be, be pattern and behavior. Then you can slide addiction into that, and the pattern you know, is the same every time because we don't like change. So there was a woman, a girl in England, late 60s, she was snatched off the side of the road, 16 years old, schoolgirl. There was a huge manhunt for her. And after a few weeks, they couldn't find her. So they pulled back on the manpower. Nine months later, a police officer, and this is in the 60s, following another car down a country road. He has a broken indicator light in the back, flashing light, pulls him over. Now, what they used to say, because I had no radios or anything, is, What's in the trunk? And you go, oh, it's a pair of shoes, a yellow jacket. Open the trunk, shoes, it's your car because you know what's in it. When they sent it to this guy, they found us a stolen screwdriver. So now they're allowed to go back to the house and search what else is stolen. Sure enough, drills, lawnmowers, everything stolen. So just before they start charging him, a policewoman walks into the X room and you see a box. It was about four foot high by about six foot, seven foot wide. 
And she said, boss, we've got uh, some more stolen stuff in here. And he denied it. I don't know what that box is. They smashed the lock off. They opened the box, and there was the girl that went missing nine months ago. She was alive. She was bruised and bad, but she was alive. He used to take her out every day, abuse the shower, bath, food, and back in for nine months. Okay, nine months. So when the policewoman went over and, and by her hand and she stepped out of the box, the policewoman took her coat off and she put it around this girl. What's the first thing she did? She got back in the box. And that is what we do in life. No matter how painful it is, we, we stay in that relationship. We go back in that addiction. No matter how painful it is, we go back. Because the pain is, is tied to childhood trauma, which becomes a comfort zone. And we will stay in that comfort zone for the rest of our life. Wow. That's powerful. Because it's familiar. You know, it doesn't require change. And it's it, we've gotten used to it. It makes so much sense. And outside looking in, you're like, what? why would you do that? But that's what that's we do. addiction. Yes, it yeah. is. And, and, you, and normal people do it time and time yeah. again. Marriages, relationships, they stay. Beaten, yes. uh, battered wives, they stay. And people yes. can't understand why they stay. What else do they know? Yeah, you know, and it's it, like it's like a young girl growing up in a house where mom and dad are there, and dad comes home drunk most nights, and he and and he beats mom up most nights. The young girl, six, seven, eight, nine, learns a couple of things. First of all, she learns to listen to the key in the door. If it yeah. jangles around, she knows to run and hide because there will be violence. If it goes straight in, it's going to be a happy night, and dad's going to be okay. So what she perceives that to be is normal behavior. So yeah. what happens when she grows up and leaves the house as a teenager? 1920 and she attracts what she thinks she's worth so she will attract the same guy that ends up being an alcoholic and beating her to the same point that if she met a nice guy who treats her well she will self-sabotage that relationship because this is the norm and i don't deserve this this is what happens in a marriage and i don't deserve it and listen guys everybody out there's a 10 don't let don't I, I can't i was there don't get me wrong but i can't believe it it's like, <clears throat> you deserve everything that you want to go out and get. And you can achieve, and quantum physics backs me up here. You can achieve anything that you want to achieve and don't let anybody tell you different because they're jealous and they're lying. That's all. I've worked with presidents. I've worked with football. I've worked with everybody. The man on the street that wants to be a road sweeper. I've worked with everybody. Let's get the dream. Like, let's say quantum physics. Quantum physics says there could be 12 places at the same time on a basketball court. Okay? Well, that's okay. I can visualize. 12 of me on the court. I can see that. Quantum physics. What else? Picture where you want to be. I've never played basketball, but you know something? I'm going to go on near the, the goal. I'm going to get the ball, slap it in the net. I'm going to be the hero of the game. Question. How do we get there? Answer. Walk over and take that freaking position. Walk over. Don't call for it. Don't beg for it. Walk over and take that position. And nine and nine, nine, nine point of the time, it'll happen. But people are scared. I'm like, oh, they're not to fail. You know, it's just carrying around from childhood trauma. That's all it is. Yeah, it's conditioning. It's it's just, and I like, you know, even things like you're saying, switching up, you know, brushing your teeth or writing with a different hand or whatever, just just getting out of that rut or that pattern of that thing <clears> that, we, um, that we do. And that's hard. That can be hard to do because even if we're miserable in the current environment we don't know what the other stuff is going to look like and i think that's because it's unknown it's scarier than some shitty existence that people find themselves in which is kind of mind-blowing um because what if it's worse right if you have a worst case scenario mind like i do where if i make this change i'm gonna go for this thing but what if that's actually worse <laughs> um i don't know it's just it's crazy but then watching all these people in recovery and regular, any, whoever, um, they just go for it. And even if you fail, whatever that even means, like you just keep trying and keep pushing and experimenting and evolving and, and surrounding yourself with people who lift you up. Like you said, get rid of the naysayers, get rid of the people who cannot stand to see other people successful or happy. And, you know, there's a lot of that, unfortunately, whether it's in your family or your friend group or whatever. Um, Show me your friend. Show your future. You know, yeah. that's what it is. Hang around with a good guy. You hang around nine depressed people, you're going to become the 10. And don't worry about getting knocked back. Look at the Beatles. They got turned down 17 times. J.K. Rowling got turned so many times. She's on a bread line. She could hardly eat and feed her kids. 
She got turned so many times. She's a first billionaire woman author. Don't no doesn't mean no. No means let's try a little bit harder for somebody yeah. else. See, we get this all the time with people. Somebody will come and go, "Oh, you're offensive, Doctor Rob. You're offensive." Well, no, you found me offensive, but. It, that doesn't mean just because you believe it doesn't make it true. Just because the Beatles show him because it's producer and he doesn't like them doesn't make it true. Because you've tried the business before and you ventured it's failed doesn't make it true. So don't so we don't live stop living in the past start looking in the future. Right. Because you can't find me by my past. I will tell you about it to qualify me. Yeah. Because there's nothing worse than a non-alcoholic or right, trying to treat an alcoholic and addict. You can't do it. It's impossible. Yes. yes, but I went to college for seven years. I, I have a master's in counseling. Well, good for you. What you don't understand is if you have a bottle of vodka behind your back and I wanted it, I would stab you to death to get that. Oh, my God. <laughs> Correct. You don't understand me. You don't. The more you understand what's going on here, guys, the more you'll shoot up and you will live your dream. I'm living the dream instead of dreaming of living. That's what yeah. I did on the street, dreaming of living. And then you, And now you're actually living that that's incredible yeah, yeah. well what, um i know we're coming up on time i want to be respectful i know we everybody has busy schedules but what is your favorite thing about being sober like if you just had to pick one thing um what's your favorite thing being a leader definitely being a leader hmm. uh I, I love it. I love every day I wake up, I do my breath work, teeth, all that stuff, I'm ready to go. I've got three English bulldogs in the house. We go out together and ready to go. Being present and being a leader, that's what thats what the answer would be for that. I love that. You can tell you're just doing what you're meant to be doing. Like you're, that's what, this is where you're supposed to be. This is what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, and it's important. You know, it's important that people take that on board, but it's all so important. You know, I come from the projects and I spend a long time in the street. So, oh, it's okay for you, doesn't work with me. You know, you can have this mindset to improve your life in the next 30 seconds if you do what I tell you to do. I think that for me, even in the recovery communities, whether it's Recovery Dharma or AA or NA or She Recovers or not doing any type of 12 step and going and doing other things like neuroscience. And there's so many options now. But the, the point for me is, and the whole reason I started this podcast was because there's not just one way, right? Yeah. Like we have to get away from this monotheistic, uh, this is the only way. And if you don't do it like that, you know, so allowing for people's different experiences and different feelings. And also when I would hear people who just decided they wanted to quit doing whatever and they just quit, I was like, well, then you're not really one of us then. <laughs> that's not how that works, you know? And, and it would make me feel, I don't know, a little bit resentful because it's like, that's not this, that is not apples to apples. So I hear you on that. And there are different places for different people. But when, when, people who are not alcoholics and addicts come into our spaces and use it as a self-help group. It's, it can be very frustrating and discouraging to those of us who this is a life or death type of deal. Um, so and I've seen them come in. I don't mind, you know, coming in them rooms. I don't mind at all. The only you know thing you have to do is have a desire to stop drinking, but little guys, if you're a heavy drinker or, or abuser of alcohol, you come in and little Johnny's at the back of that room. I don't go to AA anymore. Yeah. Johnny's at the back of the room dying of alcoholism. Shut up. You got yeah. nothing to say. Nothing to say. Because your yeah. little war stories are not going to get him well. He needs no. to know the power of God, what's in that book, and how quick. The, the book actually says we go through the steps in two days after a full knowledge of our condition. After step five, go home. So I love all that. Yeah. I do. But again, be careful who you're surrounding yourself with. That's all I'm asking everybody to do. Yes. You know, we are we hang around with. Um, what, what is the hardest thing you've ever gone through since you stopped using chemicals to, to non-remedicate and, and like, how did you cope? Um, my, this guy, when I started seeing my daughter again, uh, kicked her down the stairs while she was pregnant and, uh, we, we flew over there to see her. And while I was there, he came in and he was oh. all nice, nice and plain. And I wanted to destroy him because I have a bit of a naughty boy back in the day. I really wanted to do him some harm, but my daughter was crying saying don't, and my wife was crying saying don't, so I didn't. That's the hardest thing that I've ever been through because I did control myself. But, um, yeah, um, yeah, definitely the hardest. Jesus. I'm sorry that happened. Um, okay, last question. 
And then you can tell us a little bit about where to find you and how to find you and, and all that fun stuff. But last question, what would you tell a newcomer or someone considering a change regarding their relationship with alcohol? First of all, biggest line you can recover. Everyone does it every day. If you look at uh, that big book that everyone talks about, look at that uh, title page, the story over hundreds, now millions of people who has recovered from alcoholism. And secondly, it's not about the alcohol. Don't think it's about it. Well, if I just stop drinking, it's got nothing to do with alcohol. One percent. I remember stood outside a liquor store once, Amanda, back when I was homeless, about $10. It was snowing. I'm in a little string vest, pair of shorts and flip-flops, and I'm sweating profusely. And I'm going into DTs, and I'm starting the shop, and this guy's not supposed to open the shop till 10, but he sees me outside at 5.30. He always does. He opens the little door. I go through. He closes it behind because it's, it's illegal to sell. This this only time I put my money on the counter. I can't even speak to him. He puts the bottle of vodka down. This is what I did. <laughs> Headaches went, shakes went. I felt in a mood instantly. I looked at the shopkeeper. I looked at the bottle and I went, oh my God, it's not the alcohol. So remember that guy, it's not the alcohol. So when you stop drinking and still feel like crap, it's because it's not about the alcohol. Yeah. This. Oh my God. It's this. It's about this. It's about you on a spiritual journey of some sort. It's about you enjoying. It's not the alcohol. That's saying, I can see you got chicken pots. Why? Because you've got spots all over you. That's the symptom. What I actually have is a viral infection that can kill me as an adult. You yeah. see the alcohol, you see the drugs, you see the spots. It's not the problem. It's yeah. not the disease. So if you can think about that, get yourself into a good meeting or get yourself a good therapist, tough therapist who's been there and done it, yeah. start dialogue. Listen, if you're, if you're in a place right now and you're sat at home, okay, you're never going to amount to anything. You never think you'll be anybody. First of all, I want to apologize because somebody's put that there. First of all, secondly, 214-600-0210 is my personal cell phone number. You text me and tell me you're in a bad place. As soon as I'm free, I'll text you back and we will arrange a 10 to 15 minute pet talk that will change your life. I promise you, I promise you it will change your life. Can you say the if number again? Say again? Can you say the number again? 214. Uh, 214. So let me, let me start again. 214-600-0210. Use it, guys, because this is the theory of this. I've always got my feet in the trenches, and I would really like to spend 10 or 15 minutes with you this week then hear of your funeral next week. Mm. You know, it's crazy when you were talking about how right when you touch the bottle, it wasn't even in your body yet, but you just instant. And somebody said this a long time ago to me that, um, I never, alcohol never made me feel better, but it made me feel like I was about to feel better. There was this yeah. anticipation that medicine was on the way. Relief was on the way. And I remember even driving to, to go drink somewhere or to purchase alcohol. <laughs> I already felt calmer because I knew that I was about to get to check out. I was about to to be relieved from what goes on between my ears, which is fucking stressful sometimes. Yeah. And, and so when you said that, when you talked about and told that story, that was just so, um, because, because now, you know, I don't put anything into my system to numb or to avoid or whatever. Um, so I don't, it's scary sometimes when I'm in a really hard place where I can't check out. I don't have an easy button that I can go push to make it stop, like losing my dad and all the things and the hospice and whatever, or just day-to-day -day stress. And that panic can make me feel very trapped, right? Because, but like you're saying, there's all these other ways that we can, um, and a lot of times it really is just reaching out to somebody, reaching out to somebody who's been in that moment and just knowing you're gonna get through this, you know? Um, not to mention that numbing it with the chemical does nothing but postpone the inevitable. We're going to have exactly. to do it at some point. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Well, I know we're, we're coming up. Where can people find you? How do people engage with you besides your personal cell phone number? Thank you for that. But like, where can we go find out more about you and, and how to get in touch? So if you're listening, guys, not watching, I spell my name with two B's. R-O-B-B-K-E-L-O-Y.com is the website. Uh, we've got loads of stuff going on. We've got the Neuro Hero Conference. We've got the Neuro Realty. We're teaching realtors how to make a million dollars in the first year using neuroscience. You have a foundation on there as well. 10X is on there as well. All them great stuff. Uh, the book's on there as well. Buy the book. Daddy, Daddy, Please Stop Drinking. was the last thing my daughter said to me. Yes. Uh, we don't take nothing from that book. You pay $9. And that $9 goes out to the community. We don't take anything off. 
And in fact, if you get if you buy it and uh, you know you don't like it, uh, send me a message. I'll refund your money. And if you want a free one and you live local in Texas, just send me. I'll sign it for you. Put it in the post. No cost. Very cool. I'm going to put all that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to put all that in the show notes as well for when the episode um, drops, so that people have your websites to go to and all the different things and your um, contact information. But I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your enthusiasm and your wisdom and everything and telling your story. And um, you're amazing. Thank you. Oh, baby, let's go. <laughs> 